Thank you for listening to the Streams Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community that strives to know Jesus and make Him known. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a great rating on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy. I'm going to try to keep the same energy that Joey had. That was, that was awesome. So we're going to just be positive. So uh, we are Don and Val. I'm just kidding. No, we're, the old, we're the old Don and Val. So those of you who don't know, uh, Tanya and I, my wife, we were blessed to go to this church for several years. And uh, we moved here to Arizona to start a hospitality house and a military ministry at Luke Air Force Base. And uh, just a few months after we started going here, uh, Pastor Lloyd was mingling at, uh, in the park when you guys do the, the, the service in the park in the fall or something. And uh, he found out about what we were doing, and just without even asking, he found us online and joined our support team, and it's been a great partnership with Streams uh, ever since. And we just loved going here with you guys. We love the new pastors. We got to meet them uh, before we left. Um, but now, unfortunately, a little bit, I'm actually, it's been a little bit rough for me. We are in South Dakota, so our mission asked us to go and start another hospitality house at an Air Force base in South Dakota. So that is a picture of it right there after three months of renovations and the new name. Um, So in case you don't know what a hospitality house is, I'm going to have Josh play a uh, one-minute video, and it's actually uh, from our time here. We really hope that they feel one of home atmosphere where they feel like they're loved and accepted for who they are and where they are. We also hope that they can feel a sense of community here and gain some new friendships, maybe people that can mentor them through our volunteers that are here, and then most importantly that they learn more about God and grow either in their relationship with Him or they're learning something new about Him or for some people being introduced to Him for the first time. So as Peter said, uh, Cadence asked us to go to Ellsworth Air Force Base. The next slide shows it's a bomber base. It's in the Black Hills area of South Dakota. It's the home right now of the B-1 bomber, but they are getting the B-21 that will be coming in, and so the base is expected to grow considerably, probably double or more its size right now. It's pretty close to the same size as Luke, slightly bigger, um, but it is an operational base. Um, As Peter said, we bought a house. The next slide, I think, has some of the pictures. We left here in June. Um, We closed escrow in July. We did do three months of renovation. This house had a lot of animals in it, and you could smell it. Um, So the next picture shows some of our before and after photos. Uh, It took quite a bit of work, um, but we got it ready uh, for the airmen to come in. We had to replace flooring, redid countertops, reworked the islands, painted inside and out along with the numerous other things that we did. Um, Part of what we did, uh, well, before I move on, I think the next slide shows our view from the backyard. Uh, We have an amazing view of the flight line. You can watch the bombers take off. It's really hard to see, but in the middle of the photo, there is a bomber going across the runway, getting ready to take off. And when they take off, they rattle our entire house, including the china cabinet. (laughs) They're very loud, especially when they head over us. But um, we're just in a really strategic location, and God just blessed us um, with this house. Um, We are also working with another couple with Cadence. The next slide shows Mark and Carol. They run uh, Higher Grounds, which is an airman's ministry center on base. They've been there for a little over three years. 
the ministry itself has been there for close to 20 years, but they never had a house. Um, the military is just making it more and more difficult to share the Lord on base. Uh, Bibles have been taken from this ministry center and things like that, so they were hungry to have a house because once they come to our house, they can't tell us no. We can share the gospel freely with them. So Mark and Carol are coming up on their retirement, and in this transition, they've asked us to also, in addition to running the house, to start taking over the Airmen's Ministry Center for six months to a year. So that's going to be an adjustment for us. We're not sure how that's going to look. So if you could pray for us as we're transitioning this time um, and taking on an additional ministry to the house. Um, if, I can't remember what the next slide was. I think the next part, we're going to start telling you a little bit about our ministry. Um, we did launch the house ministry on November 5th, and Peter's going to share a little bit more about that. So one of the key things that we do at the Hospitality House is a weekly dinner and Bible study. And uh, kind of our main target, even though we minister to the whole military community, is the, uh, the young singles that live in the dorms. And so a home-cooked meal in a home environment is, is a big deal when you're 19, 20 years old, and it's just a great time. So we do that there on Thursday nights. And uh, we also do the holiday meals and, and things like that, which you see one of the pictures there. Um, so I think we'll go to the next slide. Uh, by the way, I'm teaching through the book of Galatians right now, which is uh, kind of a weird book to go through for the very first book as a new hospitality house, but that's what I felt led to do. I had taught through all the other epistles here at Luke, and Galatians was the last one that I hadn't done, and I'm like, you know, I should do that. And it's kind of interesting. So on the bottom right there, uh, Janique is one of our airmen who's been coming and she's, uh, turns out she's Seventh-day Adventist, and so Galatians has been kind of a big challenge for her. If you know a little bit about the theme of that book, it's, you know, the, the difference between law and grace and so forth. Uh, but it's been great. She's been a trooper. Uh, speaking of being a trooper, she uh, just got short notice to a deployment. She's probably the airman that we were the most connected to that I met right away when we first got there, and we have, uh, we love to play sports together, pickleball, racquetball, that kind of stuff, volleyball. So she's good about getting friends together and we play sports. But she's actually in Qatar, or Qatar is the proper way you say it. Um, uh, she just got short notice for the, a deployment. Somebody in her unit got injured, and so she had to go and replace uh, that person. But a uh, great young lady. Uh, so we should get her back in about six months or so. Um, the next one that's standing in between, uh, no, not the next slide, but the next picture. Uh, sorry, Josh. Um, is Nick standing in between Tanya and I there. Uh, he is originally from Florida. He's 19 years old, just like a lot of the airmen here uh, when we first met them. He's turning 20 this week, and you should have seen how big his eyes got. Um, so Tanya and I had our 20-year anniversary just a few days ago, and uh, he's turning 20 in a few days. And he's like, wow, you guys have been married for 20 years? Uh, as long as I've been alive. And uh, I think it's kind of a big deal for him because he was raised by his grandparents and his parents are not married and have just kind of come and gone in his life and so forth. Um, which that's actually one of the biggest ways that I was ministered to by Cadence was just seeing hopefully a good healthy marriage and that's something that Tanya and I are trying to demonstrate to them because a lot of these young airmen don't have that uh, in their life or that background. By the way, Paul, thank you. We, we were going to try to squeeze all this into three to four minutes, and he said, hey, take ten minutes if you want. 
So he's, he's, we're good. Thank you, Paul. Um, um, we are going to ask you to pray for an airman. He's not pictured here just for his privacy. Uh, he is really, really struggling. He admitted to us that he's tried to commit suicide twice. Um, he's getting medically discharged because it's just been really difficult on him. He's not in a good place. He's been coming to the house, has a slight church background, but definitely does not know the Lord and is very hopeless and very angry. And he just, we're just praying that in the couple of weeks that we have left with him, that he will hear God's truth and that he will come to have a relationship with the Lord because he really, it's only going to be the hope of the Lord that brings healing to his heart. And so if you could pray for him, we'd really appreciate it. We're not even going to share his name, but um, the Lord knows who he is. So. And then the last slide. Um, first of all, thank you guys so much for your support. Uh, many of you individually support us, which is awesome, and, and can have continued that. And then as a church, Streams Church uh, supports us as well. So thank you guys uh, for your partnership in that. Uh, a couple of uh, prayer requests for you, just the continued development of this new ministry there. I've really struggled. I, I, I'm kind of a sentimental guy, and, and I just I love people. And so it's been so awesome to be back here to see familiar faces and good old friends. And uh, I love new people too, uh, but it just takes time to develop that, you know, community and relationship and, and so forth and that deeper, that deepness. Um, later this year, as Tanya mentioned, our uh, kind of our co-laborers there are leaving. And so that's going to put more responsibility on us um, and just more work and everything. So. Just pray that uh, that God can send uh, an additional partner. We don't have a team here yet, like Don and Val and many of you. Um, and then I guess the third bullet point down would be just pray for our family to connect and establish friendships. Uh, Nathan's with his best buddy from Arizona right now, staying for the weekend, and you know he needs to develop that uh, there in South Dakota as well. And then as we continue to share the gospel in our lives with the military, that we can just impact them with the gospel, right, and get that into their, into their lives. So. Just one more addition. I had mentioned the one young man, but we recently found out that Ellsworth is one of the top three for suicides within the Air Force. So if you could pray for the base as well. Overcoming the darkness. Thank you, Pastor Sean. Awesome. We want to pray for these guys. Um, if you just uh, would join with me. Um, Lord, we just thank you for Cadence, and we, got, uh, we thank you for this awesome ministry that we can be the light and the hope of Jesus um, in our neighborhoods and abroad. And we lift up Tanya and, um, and Peter, and God, we ask that you would bring a team around them. Lord, we thank you for giving them a place and a house. We thank you for the airmen and women who come to um, just be at home. God, we pray that you, your spirit would just draw them in. And we lift up uh, that young um, person who's thinking about taking their life. God, would you reach him right now? Would you reach him and just encourage him with love? And we just pray your hope in Jesus' name. We pray hope in that whole area that we would shine for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. We appreciate you. Give them a huge hand. Who here has been influenced by Cadence? Look at all these hands. Peter and Tanya, that is a testament to what you guys do. And so we are for you and with you, and we are, uh, 
we're just excited about what God's going to do, and um, man, you're not alone, so know that, that you're with us. So um, I'm, I'm excited to share. Uh, Pastor Paul Michelson is going to be coming up, um, but I know that there's a lot of new people, so I just want to say thank you for coming. Um, and as Paul, uh, Pastor Paul comes up, he's going to share a little bit about walking in the Spirit. So we are glad you're here. Give it up for Paul. Was that my topic? Walking in the Spirit? Who am I? Who are you? No, you don't have to answer. It's a rhetorical <laughs> question. Okay. Um, have you ever had an experience like this where you were looking at yourself in the mirror? And I'm going to kind of be bummed if no one has had this kind of thing happen to me before. But you're looking at yourself and you realize that as you look in the eyes, there's something more behind what you're seeing visibly. That you're more than just a combination of body cells, that there's, there's something real that is not tangible, you can't see it, but it's there and it's unique and it it's distinguishes you from everyone else. And uh, when you have had that kind of realization that there's more to you than just what's visible, we're getting a temporary sense, I think, of the soul. Those things are, are happen, maybe you've never had that kind of experience. But uh, the realization uh, is a significant one because it leads us to other questions that are very relevant besides who am I? And of course I could answer that Paul Michelson, but that doesn't really answer the question. Um, there are other relevant questions that come with that. Um, and that's why it's such an important question. Why do I exist? What is my purpose? Um, how did I come to be? Where did I come from? Those kinds of very, very important questions. Knowing who I am affects everything in my life. And uh, my approach to life, my perspective, and my behavior is all affected by know, knowing who I am. Um, and so it's very, very important to know that. It's part of uh, making the right decisions in life. We speak of our identity in a lot of other terms. We identify ourselves often with our career, what we do in life. So uh, we might say, I am a teacher, or I am a, uh, a law enforcement person, or I am a medical personnel, a physician, and so forth. Um, and uh, maybe it's, I'm a mechanic. But we tend to put uh, a lot of value, sometimes judgment, on those kinds of things, depending upon what we do. Uh, recently, I was uh, conversing with a woman who spoke of when she was a child, and she would have a friend, one of the first things that her father would want to know was, what does her father do for a living. And then there's a judgment based upon how important and how valuable that friendship is based upon that. Um, I think we t tend to identify ourselves politically. I don't want to go down that road, but um, sometimes there's a very strong sense of identity of I'm a Republican or a conservative, or perhaps I'm a Democrat or I'm, I'm an independent. Um, we identify ourselves often by country of origin. I'm an American, proud of it. Or uh, we've, we've got some people uh, in our congregation. One I know, uh, a friend of mine is, is Iranian. We've got another person that we know who is Peruvian. And wouldn't you know it, those two came to America to get together. Most amazing love story that you have ever heard. That's uh, Fred and Isabel. Uh, we identify ourselves also by our ethnicity. And we identify ourselves by gender. 
When Paul in the Bible identified himself, this is what he would say, I am Paul, an apostle and a servant of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's all it took. That was it. That said everything in a nutshell. We're in a series called Reset, and the idea of Reset is that there are certain rhythms and patterns in life that uh, when we do them, that's, we're doing what is important. And so it is a good thing every now and then for us to evaluate. Are we doing the things that are really important? And that's what our message series has been about. Our followers of Jesus Christ, it is an important truth to establish who we are, I, uh, an identity. And living our lives based upon the, that identity is an important part of resetting and evaluating where we are because our true identity affects everything in our lives. And there's no other secondary identity that ultimately matters. These other things are not critical. Our identity in God is what really matters. So God wants, to, wants you to know who you are. That's where we're going to go today. I want to look particularly at two passages of Scripture because we're going to look at this from two different angles. One is more of an individual identity angle, and then we're going to do more of the group, or we are going to call it the corporate angle. But uh, the first passage of Scripture that we're looking at is Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm just going to um, read the passage. And this is looking at our identity more individually. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And this passage, of course, can be interpreted um, corporately as well, but it very much has an individual application, and I'm not going to go in detail in going through all of those verses, but there are two things that really uh, speak to us about our identity, and I'm applying this right now individually, our, indi our individual identity, who we really are. The first is there in verse 4, I've got it underlined, He chose us in Him. The in Him is in Christ. So it very much puts our identity as in Christ. Who are you? I am in Christ. I am part of him. Now, an important scripture on this is Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, or I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So it very much defines my identity as being in Christ. Uh, identified with him in his death, and in identifying with him in his death, I also identified with him in his life. His very life, his resurrection life, we could say, is, is within me, dwells within me. Uh, another very important scripture that speaks of our identity is 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, the new has come. So when we speak of that, we're speaking of we have become a new being. He has done away with our past and given us a new birth. So scripture speaks of us as being born again. Or in this verse, it says you are a new being. And that new being is in Christ. We're not who we were. We have had a change of identity. And now we find ourselves in Christ in a way that we never understood or were before. The second thing here that in the, these verses that speaks of our identity is in verse five, 5 where it says, Adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. 
We've been adopted into the family of God. The term adoption speaks of having a status in the family that would be what would be normal and given to the firstborn child of the family, but is simply conferred upon us when we are adopted. It gives us that official status as sons, and we can say also as daughters with the same kind of status as the natural born. There are two women in the Bible who really speak to me so clearly uh, and, and show this, illustrate it. One is a woman ma named Mary Magdalene, and the other one is the woman of Samaria, women with sinful pasts and women with strikingly different ethnicities, ethnicities that didn't get along well, ethnicities that uh, didn't like each other, didn't want to be around each other, actually came to despise each other. And so these women were like given, when they came to Christ, both of them came to Christ, they were given new identities. It's kind of like being in the witness protection program where your past is, is wiped away and gone, and now you're given a new identity, a, a, a new who you are. And so as these women came to Christ, they got that new identity. The past was wiped out. And then two women who formerly would have hated each other are now sisters in Christ. It's an amazing thing, an amazing thing what God does and is able to do. Uh, in bringing us together. And that's part of the significance of that new identity. Okay, so I think that we so much need to quit thinking of ourselves as less than valuable, less than worthy, unimportant. And we don't always think that way, but a lot of times I think that we do because Jesus loved you enough to die for you. And the Father God loves you just like a child. A parent loves a child. And of course, the natural child there would be Jesus. But we're loved in the same way that the Father loves the Son, Jesus, because we're in Him. And so the things that apply to Jesus apply to us. He knows who you are with your failures and, and weaknesses and faults and still loves you the same, says you're still worthy of His love. So, what is my identity then? The second part is as a group, the, the more corporate identity. And for this, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to look, begin with verse 9. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Um, as Peter is speaking of group, our group identity, our corporate identity there, there's a background that I think is important that we understand. And that's from the Old Testament. So I want us to um, go back to the time, this is in Exodus chapter 19, and the people of Israel had been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. They're led, they're delivered from Egypt by Moses leading them out. They go through the wilderness to uh, Sinai. They were a people that had lost their sense of identity as a nation, who they were. It had been too long. They were descendants of Abraham, but uh, they knew very little about that. And so in reestablishing these people as his people, it was important to give them their identity. And so that's where we're at when we come to chapter 19 of Exodus. So I'm going to uh, just begin with verse 1. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. 
And the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. These are identity terms that he gives here. It's corporate identity. And so I've, I've pointed out, he speaks of them being God's treasured possessions, unique among all the peoples of the world. You belong to me. I value you. Uh, a kingdom of priests. That was different. No one else could claim that. You are, to me, a kingdom of priests, and you're a holy nation. So this is the background when Peter is uh, speaking in chapter 2, verse 9, and he, he's giving us the exact same wording here. And so what he's saying is just as Israel needed to know who they were, just as God brought them to the foot of Sinai and says, this, you're my people, and that's where he gave them the law and, and, and set and focused, just this is how I want you to walk with me and live with me. This is who you are. You're my people. And so Peter is saying, now that applies to you and to us. Same thing. We're right there. We're his people in exactly the same way that the people of Israel were in the Old Testament. And so he uses exactly the same terminology. So he says, you're a chosen race. The word race, uh, in the Greek, it's genos, and it refers to a family or a, a, a tribe, a, a country, or specifically a race. It's people that are grouped together because of being related with one another. He says, you are a chosen race. You are part of a family that is related to one another. That's who you are now. And it brings us back to uh, Abraham. Abraham was was called by God, chosen, elect, and uh, he became the father of uh, an, uh, uh, his descendants who were the people of God, the Israelites, who, um, who, who learned God's ways, and it was passed down from, from father to son through generation after generation uh, after that establishment there with Moses at Mount Sinai. But uh, it, it says that we're in the same place as those descendants of Abraham. We have that same identity. And so like Abraham, we're chosen by God to be part of God's family. He places that choice upon us and we're part of his family, his race. Uh, still in verse 9, we're a royal priesthood. Uh, in Exodus it says a kingdom of priests. Here in Peter it says a royal priesthood. Uh, the idea in Exodus was a a priesthood that was belonging to and in service of the king, the king being God. And so it's applied there in Exodus to the nation as a whole. You are a kingdom of priests. There is a, and priests had a, a high status. They were intermediaries. They stood right between God and man. So they would represent man to God and they would represent God to man. Very high status. And he's saying that's who you are as a nation you represent me to the rest of the world. You show who I am. You show what godliness is like to the rest of the world. You are a kingdom of priests, or as he says here, a royal priesthood. It's a high dis uh, designation of identity. The next one's a holy nation. Holy, to be holy means to be set apart. There is a uniqueness here, a consecration to God, a people separate from all other people. Uh, in identity and behavior, consecrated to God as belonging to Him. 
And then God's own people, literally it says, this is still verse 9, God's own people, uh, literally uh, that reads, God's own possession. In the first chapter of 1 Peter, uh, Peter was, was talking about our redemption being paid for in a very uh, precious way. With, he says the precious blood of Christ is what purchased us. And another relevant scripture, Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 6 about you're not your own. Amazing thing to say, you're not your own, but you're, you've been bought with a price. Did you know that? You no longer. <laughs> when you come to Christ, you've surrendered your own past identity. You, you're not who you were. You realize that. You're not your own. You belong to another now because he purchased you, paid a price for who you now are. And together with this, then, is a new status. And I want to look at the, um, the last two verses. Uh, this is 1 Peter 2, now t- verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So there's three things there that speak of our uh, new status because of the new identity that we have in Christ. Uh, you've received mercy, you're beloved, and you're, you're now sojourners and exiles. Let's just touch briefly upon each one of them. Uh, recipients of mercy, the background is the first chapter of Hosea. Hosea is called as a prophet to speak to a rebellious people. There uh, are people that, that needed a lot of, of uh, working on by God, and, and God is, is pronouncing, uh, you're going to receive judgment. This is before they went into exile. And so God told Hosea to announce the judgment coming by uh, taking a wife uh, uh, that was a prostitute. Her name was Gomer. And then one of the children that he was to have with Gomer, uh, he said, is not, you, you shall name that child no mercy. This was a, a a message to the people of Israel because I'm not anymore going to have mercy on you. And another child that he had with Gomer was not my people. A message to Israel. You're not my people and I'm not your God. But did you know whenever there is judgment pronounced by the prophets um, there's always hope mixed with it. It's never just judgment. Did you know that? That's a consistent truth. And so as you look at the first chapter of Hosea He's saying, but there's coming a day when I'm going to reverse it. It's not going to be forever. And there's coming a day when I will give you uh, mercy. And there's coming a day when you will, again, be my people. And so we come now to Peter. And he's saying in verse, verse 10, that day is now. So now you are no longer um, not my people, but you are my people. I will call you my people. And you didn't receive mercy before. But now you have received mercy. So it's a new status. That new identity in God has now brought us a new status. We are recipients of mercy. And then verse 11, the new status here is that as a result of our new identity, we're beloved. I mean, that just is a state, a standing that we have entered. We are beloved. There's no question about it. And I believe that that love is a different kind of love. There's a general love that, you know, God so loved the world. But then there's a, a specialness, a uniqueness to, but you are my beloved. We have entered a state that is uh, given us a very high status with God. And then sojourners and exiles. A sojourner is a stranger, a person who is a, uh, not, not a legal resident of a country where they're dwelling. They don't have the legal status. He says, that's the way you are on earth. You're, <laughs> you're a, a, a stranger, like a foreigner. 
And then an exile is someone who's just a temporary resident, just passing through, you're not here for long. And that's the way he views our identity here on earth, which is where we were before we gained the new identity in Christ. Um, it has changed everything now, and we, uh, we could say it this way, we're citizens of heaven. We have a new citizenship. So, uh, this is not our true homeland. We're just here on a temporary basis. So our, our life then should be consistent, is what he says at the end of verse 11. Um, you should abstain then from the passion passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. There should be a new life based upon that new identity. Okay. So why is all this important? And this is, I think, the heart of what we want to get at today. Um, I want to give you a couple of big reasons why I think this issue of identity is a critically important issue for us as believers. One is because of, it is because of the the insecurity and the desperate need for affirmation that many of us live with all the time. It's there. Uh, and we, we all have a certain sense of insecurity and, and need to be affirmed because we're human. But there's an unhealthy level that many of us are there so often. And when things hit us that are hard to deal with, we, we, that insecurity just sets in and grips us and, and can destroy our being emotionally. And uh, we've, we've probably all been there. It's not the way God wants us to be and to live and to see ourselves as in Christ. It's just totally inconsistent with us being in Christ. Um, a few examples. Um, I have a granddaughter that is um, in medical school right now, but she did an internship out of state and uh, spent this entire last school year in um, this internship. She did really well in the actual work that she did with patients and, and doctors spoke very highly of her, but she had a supervisor that we don't totally know the reasons, but just really mistreated her. And uh, there were several uh, blow-ups and, and conflicts, and this is during the whole school year. And this is a 22-year-old and uh, very subject to emotions. It, it was a struggle for her. We know that it's not, it wasn't just her issue because there were three other interns and they all uh, had discussion where the, it was the same thing. They, they were experiencing this person in exactly the same way. There was no difference. But it got worse and worse and worse for her until she had, there was a final big blow up and it was an emotional struggle for her. And uh, she res resigned just recently and gave her two weeks notice. She wasn't forced to resign, but gave her two weeks notice. And the response immediately was, well, well today will be your last day. So as a 22-year-old, how do you deal with, or, or any of us, because we have no doubt experienced that same kind of thing. If you've had uh, much employment in your life, you've dealt with that. I, I think we have not gotten uh, away uh, from, from that. We, we deal with that. So how do you get through that? And the answer is by knowing who you are in Christ. And that's where we need to go when we're hit with criticism. Um, God doesn't want you to be dependent upon someone else's praise. Now, I love praise, and, and you can give me praise, but I'm... I don't want to be dependent on that praise to feel good about myself. And that's where God wants you to be. He wants you to know who you are and let that be sufficient, where you don't need the praise and where the criticism might hurt, but it's not going to knock you off your feet. Why? Because you know who you are. And that person's opinion ultimately doesn't matter because you know the truth. You know, you know you're a child of God. You know that you are related to God. You're, you know that you're in Christ. 
And that needs to be the determining factor. So identity is important. Recently, I listened to a, uh, one of those TED Talks um, things on YouTube, and it was about a, uh, a, a, he called himself a soccer referee. Now, it, he was a Brit, and so what he meant was, uh, and he called it football, <laughs> a football referee. But he's a soccer referee, and the title of his message was How to Not Take Things Personally. And some things came up there that I hadn't really thought about concerning referees. Refereeing is a very difficult job uh, because you're never right. And this is what he pointed out. You can't do anything right, and everybody's on you. And when you've done a good job, you rarely hear about it. It's all criticism, and they're yelling at you. Sometimes you're despised and hated. And to be successful as a referee, you've got to learn how to not take things personally. And he gave some good, uh, more psychological things, and, and I agreed with what he said. It was good. But as believers, we need to deal with, um, know, know to not take things personally because of our identity. And so knowing who we are will move you away from that taking everything personally, you know, where uh, you're not worthy and you're unimportant and what they're saying is true. You'll be, actually, you'll be able to evaluate things accurately. And you'll, you'll see yourself for who you are if there's things that you need to adjust in you'll realize that, but you know when, they're, when they've gone too far and the criticism is wrong and you'll be able to distinguish be, between those. Um, Sherry and I go into uh, the women's prison and one of the things that we, we do volunteer ministry there and one of the things that we have come to find out uh, in many of the women's lives who are in prison, they are there because of a, they got into something wrong because of a relationship with a man and because they had this need for male attention in male affirmation, they did something together with that man that they perhaps would not have done otherwise. That's, that's a common story. And so the answer is, and this is what I feel that uh, Sherry and I need to really teach and preach as we go in, is teach those women who they are in Christ. They're believers. Most of them, not all, but mo most of them are believers. They're learning to walk with Christ. And so our job, our role is to show them this is who you are with Christ. And you don't need that affirmation because God affirms you. You don't need that attention from uh, the romantic attention because you know who you are and God loves you and that in itself is enough. The other thing that, so that, that's the insecurity dealing with that. I think identity in Christ is going to really speak to, to that that we all have. But the other thing is the uncertainty of the future. We need to know who we are when we, think, when we face an uncertain future. In 2003, Sherry, my wife, had a heart attack. And I, uh, I don't want, I'm not going to go into all the details of that, but we didn't know what it was for many days. And, and finally, you know, she went to the hospital, was misdiagnosed and misdiagnosed, and uh, went into the hospital, and uh, we thought, okay, so they're talking about doing an angiogram, and, you know, that's a catheterization process. It's pretty minimally invasive, and so I think she was scheduled for that on a Monday morning. And I went to work, you know, I'll come back and see how you're doing later in the day. And I get a call at work that, well, they're getting ready to do open heart surgery on her. And she's in her 40s, a big shock. Okay, now I have found that this is somewhat, uh, I don't want to say a normal procedure, but it's, it's somewhat routine, and the doctors are good at what they do. But we hadn't been through this before, and uh, a little bit scary. It really was. Uh, now, on her part, Sherry says she doesn't remember a thing after, after she, you know, they wheeled her into on the table. Um, 
but I'm sitting with her family, and it was you know, a matter of hours, and uh, had to face some realities of, you know, what if? And we're praying like crazy, but what if? This, you, don't, you just don't know. In open heart surgery, they wound up doing a triple bypass on her, and that's, it's freaky scary. And some of you have experienced that or very similar things. We have to learn in those situations that our identity is in God. And that's what gets you through those difficulty, difficult uncertainties in life, is knowing who you are. And I knew my identity, and I could take confidence in that. And I knew Sherry's identity. And that's, that's what we stood on in those days of uncertainty. Knowing your identity is going to affect your level of confidence in life. And God wants you to face life and the situations in life with confidence in Him. Not in yourself, but in Him. He wants you to place your hope and confidence there. Um, because then you're going to see yourself as valuable to God. You'll see yourself as worthy of His love. You'll see your, your identity as belonging to Him as His son and daughter. And you're going to be able to face every situation, whatever hits you, as life does. You're going to be able to face whatever hits you in life with confidence, knowing who you are. As I pray this morning, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Lord, we thank you for just dying for us and loving us so much that uh, you gave us a new identity, um, a new life, took away our past, and said, now you are made new. You are a new creation in me. You're my child, my son, my daughter, and I have set your love on you. Thank you for those things today, Lord. And we're, we're, we are struggling, and Lord, I'm uh, just knowing that uh, the percentages are high of, of even Christians who struggle with identity and, and being subject to the need for affirmation from others and being susceptible to, to criticism. I just pray, Lord, that you would speak truth into our hearts, that uh, you don't want us to live susceptible to uh, being knocked off our feet when we receive criticism or having that desperate need for attention and affection and positive praise from others, Lord. Uh, thank you when it happens, but teach us, Lord, that we don't have to live with that, that we can live uh, with confidence in who you have made us to be and who you have determined us to be in you. So I just want to thank you so much for that today. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen.